Hi folks, welcome to Fig Tree Ministries. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel by clicking that red subscribe button below and click that bell to make sure you get notified every time we upload a new video. Enjoy today's lesson. Okay, so we are, again, we're still moving around the Sea of Galilee. This is going to be Sea of Galilee part 13. Now, last week we did the number three, but I didn't title it as Sea of Galilee. It was just kind of a standalone. So we're back to the series of the Sea of, sea of Galilee as we traverse around the lake and look at some of the events that happen, and we want to look at the cultural context to where these events happen and see if that can lend to the story itself. And as, as we've seen, it very often does. And that's one of the hardest things for us to understand, being so far removed from that, the land of the Bible, the culture of the Bible, that it's difficult for us to see that. And once again, today will be another example of, of this very same thing, because there's a common history that the people in Galilee have that we don't have. So just as we know our common history here in America, they knew their common history, and that's what we have to start covering today. We're going to talk about, over the course of the next few weeks, the zealots. Okay, so we're going to talk about the zealots. It'll probably take us three weeks at least to cycle through some of the zealot ideas, where they came from, and how they interact with Jesus' ministry. And what I hope to show you is, as you raise your awareness of the zealots, what they're attempting to do, and their, say, their common history, you begin to notice how it interacts with Jesus, his ministry, and the disciples. So, God willing, we'll be able to highlight some of that as we move along with the zealots. There's a lot of information, so it's just going to take some time for us to move through it and help you digest the information so I'm not dumping too much data on you all at one time, even though it'll probably feel that way. So just some housekeeping for Fig Tree Ministries. So last week I mentioned uh, you can find us on YouTube. Of course, we put the video. We also put the recording on Apple Podcasts, so we have the Fig Tree Ministries podcast. And the Facebook page, we upload each week to our Facebook page as well. And this week, we added uh, Spotify. So if you happen to have Spotify as a podcasting platform, well, you can go ahead and find Fig Tree Ministries. Our podcast is also on Spotify. And for anybody engaging with us, please go ahead and subscribe to our channel. Give us a thumbs up or a like leave a comment, share with your friends. All of that helps us grow our ministry to help people understand the biblical text in a, in a little bit different way than we often get each Sunday in church. So that's, that's our goal here, is to help open up that world of the Bible so you actually read your Bible a little bit different than you may have in the past. Now, for all of these, if you look down in the description section of each of those platforms, I do put the handout, so each week we have a handout, and that way you can follow along, keep track of what's going on as we're teaching, 
And if you if you're listening on a podcast, which I know is often much easier, and you ever need to go find a picture that I'm talking about, just go back to the YouTube, and that's why I put the photos up because those photos help you mentally create a picture of what's happening that you would never get if you didn't actually see the concrete picture. Okay, so I think I'm missing a slide. I was meant to go back to this idea of the zealots. Why are we going to talk zealots? Well, we have a whole corner of the lake that we haven't hit yet, and we note here that in Mark 3.18, this is just a list of the disciples, so I'll just read it real quick. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and then you get this one, Simon the Zealot. So nobody has a title. It's just their name, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas. And then you get to Simon, Simon the Zealot. So they're telling you now, does that mean he's part of the Zealot organization? Not that there was a, you know, a, a list of members. Or is this the way the disciples see him? Well, he's a little bit zealous. So either way, you get the name Simon the Zealot. And that's what we need to figure out is, what does that mean? And there's some interesting things. Once you start realizing the movement of the zealots, that when you look at how Jesus brought together his disciples, there's something very powerful happening based on who he chose. So we'll get much more aware of the mindset, the behavior, how the zealots saw the unfolding of the kingdom of God. And again, you'll be able to see this reflected in the actions of the disciples. And actually, nothing bad is ever attributed directly to Simon the Zealot. Other disciples, as I'll show you, do display zealot-like behavior. But this is what we're, this is one of the texts that's going to lead us down this path. All right, so the picture in the background, what you see in the background, and I'll show you a little bit clearer, is a city called Gamla. And Gamla is the zealot city, basically the zealot headquarters in the first century. We'll look at a, at a map in a minute of where Gamla is, but it's the headquarters for the zealot movement, and it sits far back in a what's called a wadi in the Middle East, but is a canyon to us. And it's an extraordinarily steep hill. And they built the city. Now, this is, it's kind of hard to see with those colors, but the hillside goes like this. I put a white line just to give you an outline. There's the hillside to the pinnacle, and then the hillside drops back off. So on the left side of your screen, on the left side of that hill, is where the city was. It's not as steep as the right side. The, the right side's quite steep. And it doesn't look, the, the picture is deceptive. It doesn't look that steep. But if you, if you stood at that pinnacle and looked down, it's pretty steep. And you hike up that side of that hill. It's no, this is no picnic here, especially in the heat, you know, inside of a canyon. For those of you who have ever hiked down into, say, the Grand Canyon in the summertime, you know how hot that can get. So this is difficult living. It's far back in, a, in a, a, a wadi, which means it was protected, and it became the zealot headquarters. So let me show you. You can see it is difficult on this picture, but there is a city. There's a wall. They did build a wall eventually. It was not normally a walled city, but they did build a wall because war with Rome was going to be inevitable. They ended up building a city wall. The wall goes, it goes on all sides of the city, but 
it was a fortified city. By the time they go to war with Rome, and this becomes one of the battle, the places where the Roman army comes to wage war against the zealots. We'll talk more about that, a little bit of the data of Gamla in a minute. And then one of the things that's absolutely remarkable about going there today is this synagogue. There's a synagogue, and you can see, I mean, it's, it's deceiving how the, the picture, I'll show you a close-up in a second, but the picture on your screen is a little deceiving of how big that hill actually is. That's the synagogue of Gamla, and it's pretty amazing because there had been a really bad fire. You can see how badly it's burned. And the, 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 the people who run the, the archaeologists who run Gamla, they call it the miracle of Gamla because the only place that didn't burn in that whole wadi was the area around the synagogue. And that's pretty remarkable. So this is a picture of the synagogue discovered, I believe, in 1968. This is technically not Galilee. I'll show you that on a map in a minute. It's technically another region. So when Matthew says that Jesus taught in all the synagogues in Galilee, this is not included in that because it's technically not in Galilee. But it's a first century synagogue. And that's remarkable because for a long time, they had never found one. And I think this was the first one found. This was, somewhere, again, somewhere around 1968. So that's, that's a, it's a remarkable place to sit. And you realize, well, we don't know if Jesus ever went to Gamla, but it's probably likely considering how, how much he got around. Okay, so that's where we're at. We're at the city of Gamla, and we want to talk about the Zealots, because this is their city, and this was a huge movement in the first century, and ultimately led, as we'll see, to war with Rome. By 66 AD, the Zealots had pushed and pushed and pushed until finally there was a war with Rome, and of course, they got crushed. And it was even the Zealots in Jerusalem that pushed Jerusalem to fight the Romans. And based on that, you have Jerusalem was destroyed and God's temple the second time. So the Zealots were a powerful movement in that first century. Okay, real quick, let's go to a map. I just want to show you on a map where we're at here. So here's the Sea of Galilee. Jesus makes Capernaum his hometown. Capernaum is in, I'll show you in a second, the region of Galilee. Gamla is over here. It's over on the right side of your screen. You can see even on the, this map shows some re geographical relief. You can tell that that's a wadi that it's sitting inside of. So Gamla sits off the sea back in that wadi. And Technically, Gamla is in a region called Batanea. Now, it doesn't mean anything to you right now. God willing, in a, in a few weeks when we talk about John the Baptist, Batanea will come into play a little bit more. But Batanea is the region on that side that's divided by the, the, the east side of the Jordan River. And Galilee is over here on the west side of the Jordan River. So again, like technically, when it says Jesus preached in all the synagogues in Galilee, it's because it's on the west side of that Jordan River. What's some differences? Well, there's a political difference. So here's the Jordan River, and it creates a dividing line, as rivers often do. Batanea on the east side, Galilee on the west side. Batanea was ruled by Herod Philip. That was the third son 
of Herod the Great. And he ruled from pretty much this, this area north, all the way up to um, Caesarea Philippi. The area of Galilee is ruled by Herod Antipas. So most of Jesus' dealing is on inside Galilee with Herod Antipas. He never deals with Herod Philip, although he does travel around that region. And they're two different, um, you know, they're two different people. Herod Antipas was quite ambitious. He wanted to be named a full king. And he placed his headquarters right here at that city called Tiberias. And he named the city after the Caesar, Tiberius, who gave him power. He was very politically motivated. Herod Philip was not. And there's, according to the scholar Bargill Pixner, he's, I've mentioned him before, he even says, look, Herod Philip was actually respected by his subjects and wasn't as ambitious as Herod Antipas. So you do have different political things going on based on where you're living, not only the politics of the zealots, but simply that it's two different regions. Now, one of the things that I'll mention here is Tiberius, if you remember, Herod Antipas made it his capital city in 20 AD, only 10 years before Jesus shows up. And, you know, we often think Jesus was leading a peasant movement out in the middle of nowhere. Well, if he wanted to do that, he'd have stayed in Nazareth. But he didn't. He comes right down into this cauldron of both religious and political tension. And he puts his home base at Capernaum, and it's right next to now the seat of Roman power. So he's not shying away from taking his message out to the world. He puts it right on display. Now, just so you know, too, this city called Hippos, that's a Decapolis city. Herod Philip did not rule over the Decapolis cities. So there is going to be a dividing line somewhere to the south. All right. So here's one point. The zealots live on this side of the, the lake. They live over in Gamla, and they're very influential on that side of the lake. On this side of the lake, you have the Ro Roman seat of power with Herod Antipas, and the zealots hated Rome. And you can imagine the tension that's created when the king puts his, his city right across the lake from the group of people that despise Rome. And we'll talk more about some of the history next week that just really, it's a thumb in the eye of those zealots that Herod Antipas is doing. So the zealots live on this side of the lake. And one thing we'll note, there was a, at one point under Herod the Great, so Herod Antipas's father, he persecuted the zealots and he drove them across the river, and they began to settle on this side, on the zealot side of the river, which is now a little bit different region. And you'll note that the city called Bethsaida is on that side of the lake. Now, I'm not saying Bethsaida is a zealot city, but those people are influenced because that's where the zealots got pushed to. So you're going to find zealot influence from the people at Bethsaida. And it will show up in the disciples' thinking. And I want you to notice something. The Bethsaida is this little teeny town, 600 people or something. Look at the, the number of disciples that come from Bethsaida. Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip. They're all from Bethsaida. They all know each other. 
They've grown up in that town their whole life. They go out and change the world. This little teeny town. And perhaps it's their passionate view of God. And once Jesus got them on the right track, they went out and changed the world. One thing I want to show you is the zeal- they get their zealot influence even at Bethsaida because it's on that side of the lake. And then the other thing, uh, Bargill Pixner again, we don't know exactly where Simon the Zealot is from, but Bargill Pixner says perhaps he's from Gamla. So that would be even six of the disciples from that side of the lake. And I'll show you more, God willing, over the next couple of weeks, how even other disciples are going to be associated with this Zealot type movement. And then their actions will start to make sense. It's an important corner of the lake. All right. So just to, let me give you a little bit of data about Gamla, just to, to help you get a sense of what's going on there. First of all, the word Gamla means camel. So camel in Aramaic. Camel in Hebrew is a little bit different, but it's close enough. Uh, now, somebody at some point looked at that hill and said, well, it looks like the hump of a camel. And they call this place camel, Gamla. So Gamla is, of course, the headquarters of the Zealots. I mentioned that. Now, I want want you to note that as we talk about history, by Jesus' day, it's headquarters of Zealot with a capital Z, meaning it's an official-type movement. Previous to that, there were zealous people, little z. They took on that name, but didn't. it wasn't like an official movement. By the first century, it's an official movement. Gamla was destroyed in 67 by the Romans, never rebuilt again. So when they excavated it in the late 60s, nobody had ever gone back and tried to rebuild it. That was exactly how it was left. And it's all of the Roman arrows and ballista balls and all the destruction was still there that they've found. One of the things that happened was the zealots refused to be killed by the Romans. And just like at Masada, where Masada ended up being a mass suicide rather than die by the Roman sword, the zealots at at Gamla committed mass suicide. That right side, very steep side of the hill, as the Romans closed in on the city, they all went to the top of that um, hill and jumped off. They all committed suicide by going off the back of that, that hill rather than die or submit to the Roman sword. And then, of course, it was excavated in the late 60s, and you can go there today, and it's a, it's a national park in Israel, and you can see the excavation, and it's pretty amazing, uh, amazing stuff, even though it's not technically ever listed in your Bible. Okay, now, at this point, what I need to do is take you through some history. I sent you a third handout. We'll use that over the next couple of weeks. We don't have this common history. We're not always taught the common history of Galilee or the people of Israel. So just like all of us, we live in America right now, and we all have common history. So we understand things like the Revolutionary War. We understand the Civil War. World War I, people are a bit more fuzzy about World War I, but you can understand that's part of our common history. World War II is part of our common history. So. All of our movements today are defined by the past, our common history in this country. Even the movements today are still being defined by what has happened in our country. So 
just like we have common history that gives rise to movements that are often radical in nature and resort to violence, their common history gave rise to a movement called the Zealots. And so what I want to do is give you very, it's going to be very brief. It's just an outline that leads you to the point that says there were groups of people very upset about Roman rule. And it leads to then their, this whole zealot movement. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just, again, it's brief, but I want you to just get the sense of what's going on. So if we go through very quickly, I'm going to go back about 600 years prior to Jesus' birth, and you start with the Babylonians. So 586 BC, you have the Babylonian exile and the destruction of the first temple. We are all in some way familiar with that because that's the prophets. That's Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. So you have the Babylonian exile. Babylon is now in charge of Jerusalem. By 539, the Persians, Cyrus, had become in charge. So again, they're not, the Israelites are not running their own country. But he gives them the right to return to Jerusalem. That's Ezra and Nehemiah. They come back and they rebuild the temple. So now the Persians are in charge. They're not, they're not in charge of their own affairs. The Israelites are not in charge of themselves. By 333, you get the Greeks. This is Alexander the Great. So Alexander the Great shows up. He conquers the Persians. But you're still being ruled by somebody. So if it's not the Babylonians, it's the Persians. If it's not the Persians, it's the Greeks. You get the Greeks that come in. And they're not necessarily forcing conversion for the Jews, but they want to influence them. They're, it's a Hellenization period where they want to Hellenize the people, get them to convert by giving them movies and television and the culture that makes people convert to the Greek way of thinking. But what happened was around 175, and this is a generality because I just want to make it simplified, a Greek king by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, which Epiphanes means the manifestation of God, so that's how he thought of himself, he came, he came about and said, you know what, I'm going to convert you Jews by force. And it was a brutal, he outlawed Torah reading, he outlawed circumcision, it was going to be forced sacrifices to the Greek gods, and at this point, a group of Jews so I'll call it 167, a group known as what we call today the Maccabees, rose up and said, we will not abide by this. You will not convert us. And the Maccabees were this ragtag army, and they overthrew with the most powerful army in the world, the Greek army from uh, the Seleucid Greeks. And what we know from the Maccabees, this is what we know every year in our culture, is the holiday of Hanukkah comes out of that. Antiochus Epiphanes had put a Greek god inside the temple at the Jerusalem and sacrificed pigs on the altar. The Maccabees cleansed the temple. They rededicate that temple, and that holiday is Hanukkah. So that comes from 167 years before Jesus was born. And the subsequent period of time, for about a hundred years, Israel ruled themselves for the first time since the 600s. This is a huge deal. And this, this self-rule of, of Israel, many people decided to come back from Babylon. There was an influx of recent immigrants from Babylon, and they settled 
in Galilee. So many of the recent Galilean uh, immigrants were Jews that came from Babylon. Hey, why come back from Babylon? Our kids are in school. I've got a business here, and we're not rule. We're not ruling ourselves. But the moment you have self-rule, there's independence, and people start to flood back. So for about a hundred years, Israel's ruling themselves, and then 63 BC, Rome shows up, and they now take over, and it becomes a disaster, of course, in the eyes of those Jews. And what we'll talk about next week is there's a series of revolts up in Galilee led by these passionate people that would refuse to bend their knee to Rome. And this series of revolts, by the time we get to 6, now 6 AD, is the founding by Judah the Zealot, from, or Judah from Gamla, founds a movement now capital Z Zealot. Now, the reason we want to go through this is this little period of time, 167, the, the Maccabees, the, the holiday of Hanukkah, that's in John, by the way, John chapter 10, if you want to read about Hanukkah, Jesus goes to Hanukkah. That period of self-rule followed by all these revolts and the crushing boot of Rome on top of those people is exactly what Jesus is walking into. That's their common history. And there are people resisting Rome to the point of violence. And Jesus doesn't show up into a blasé period of time. They want a king, and they want a king who's going to conquer the Romans. It's very important to understand, for 200 years, this had been building and building and building and building. And the zealots, as I mentioned, will, will eventually take the entire country into war with Rome. So it's a very important piece of the ministry and how he interacts with this whole ideology of the kingdom of God through violence. Okay, that was quick. We'll rehash some of this next week as we go take as I'll take it to some other places that are closer in time, but just realize just as we as Americans have heroes from our past, right? So George Washington is a hero that led us away from the rule of of King George in England. These Maccabees become a hero for the Zealots. This Maccabees are a very important recent hero to the Zealots. So if we think about these Maccabees, you know, unfortunately, we don't know a lot about the Maccabees because it's not in our Bible, and we tend to, we tend to not study the history in between the Old Testament and New Testament. But the Maccabees are a group of freedom fighters they're going to throw off an authoritarian government. They defeated that Greek army, which had to be a miracle of God. God must have been on their side. And God delivered victory, them to victory. They cleansed that temple. You get Hanukkah. And imagine the zealots. They see this as their victory and their model, right? So if we could just get Jesus to go to war with Rome, God would do it again. And it's Passover time, and Jesus is going into Jerusalem, and we're going to get Jesus to fight a war, because just like that first Passover when, when God destroyed the Pharaoh and the Egyptian army, God will destroy the Romans. And you can imagine that just pure belief and insistence that God is on their side. Okay, the Maccabees. There's going to be a story I want to show you 
the father of the Maccabees, Mattathias, he's the priestly father of the Maccabees. Then you have a son, Judah Maccabee. That's the more famous one. But the father is the one who kind of kicks off this revolution. And he's, there's a point, um, you can read about it in the book of Maccabees, where a soldier, a Greek soldier, is trying to force him to sacrifice to the Greek gods. And he says, I will not do it. And another Jew walks up and says, I'll do it. And the, the father, Mattathias, goes nuts and says, you will not do it. He kills the Jew who's going to about the sacrifice, and then he kills the, the Greek soldier. And that kicks off this movement uh, that we call the Maccabees. And there's a, it's a self-proclaimed name that they're giving themselves. And in Hebrew, Kanaim, Kanaim, Kana is the, is the Hebrew word for zealous. And I'll show you where they get that from. I, 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 I gave you the quotes on your sheet when we look at it. Kana means zealous. And the Kanaim, plural, are the zealous ones. If you're zealous for the law, follow me, he says. And this kicks off this movement of passionate followers of God, zealous for the laws of God. And this is ultimately where you get the name zealots in Jesus' day. All right, so let me show you. I put this on your sheet. Um, it's number six on the back of your handout. Now, 1 Maccabees, first of all, before I quote this, let me explain where 1 Maccabees can be found. So this document is telling the history of the Maccabee movement from 167 to 160 BC. It's found in a, a group of writings called the Apocrypha. So you can find Bibles that have, uh, you can find Protestant Bibles that have the Apocrypha inserted. They used to print it with the Apocrypha. Catholic Bibles keep the Apocrypha. So if you get a Catholic Bible or have a Catholic friend that has a Bible, you'll find the book of 1 Maccabees. So it's, it's the history, the Apocrypha are all writings from between the Old Testament and New, and they help us bridge the history, and this is one of them. It tells the story of the Maccabees. So I'm just going to give you a quote, and I put some of these, again, on your sheet, number six, so that you can read them. But this is the story about Mattathias. And he, he's trying, a soldier is trying to force the Jews into sacrificing to the Greek gods. But I want you to notice the use of the word zeal and zealous, because this is where ultimately the zealots get their name. So, starting in verse 24, when Mattathias saw this action, that's the, the guy who's about to go, the Jew who's about to go make a, a sacrifice to a Greek god, he burned with zeal. So there's our first, he burned with zeal. His spirit was stirred. He gave way to his righteous anger and ran over and killed the man on the altar. He also killed the king's officer who was overseeing the sacrifice at the time. He tore down the altar. He burned with zeal for the law. Now, who else do we know that burned with zeal for the law? How about the Apostle Paul? We'll see that in a minute. He says, I was zealous for the law. And his actions are zealous. He's violently persecuting that church. 
So Paul was acting like a zealot. Verse 26, he burned with zeal for the law, just like Pinhas, or we say Phineas, Pinhas did against Zimri, Saul's son. Uh, hold on to that name Pinhas. You'll see it in a minute. Then Mattathias shouted loudly in the town, Everyone who is zealous for the law and supports the covenant should come with me. Zealous for the law. Well, how do you refer to the group of people who are zealous for the law? Kanaim. The Kanaim, the zealous ones. And so you get this name that goes along with these people and their zealousness for God's law. And it comes from this group of people. Now, I'll show you in a minute. It goes back to our Old Testament. So it's not just coming from them, but their heroes are from the the Old Testament. But this is very recent. And boy, those zealots, they thought for sure, if just like the Maccabees fought, we can fight too and God will be on our side because we are zealous for God's law. Okay, so the name Kana. Kana means zeal or zealous. And where does this name, where does it come from? So I'm going to take you through a few Old Testament verses. And you have to realize they're pulling all of this from their heroes, of the biblical heroes. So the Maccabees are only their recent heroes. So here are some Old Testament heroes. 1 Kings 19.10, and I'm just going to go through these quickly. You can reflect on them later. But this is Elijah. Elijah. He's the epitome of a prophet with zeal, right? He, he fights the Baal prophets. He builds the altar on top of the mountain. He's calling down fire from heaven. It's all the zealousness of Elijah, right? And then Elijah goes down because, you know, things aren't going well, and he goes down to the mountain of God, and he's having a discussion with God, and, and Elijah says, I have been very zealous. Kana is the word for the Lord God Almighty. It's actually a cool phrase. It's two, it's kana kana in Hebrew. Uh, when they put two words right next to each other, it means very kana. You're very zealous. It's like kaniti kana. And it's, I was very ze- zealous. So Elijah, Elijah is a, uh, you know, he's, a, he's, he's the epitome of a prophet. All the disciples want to be like Elijah. When James and John in Luke say to Jesus, uh, hey, those Samaritans weren't very nice. Should we rain down, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? That's Elijah, zealot type thinking. That's James and John. And where, what city were they from? Bethsaida. You know, who wants to call heaven down or call fire from heaven and destroy somebody? That's zealot type thinking. So James and John, they want to sit at the right hand of Jesus with power. That's what they want is power. Okay. That's one is uh, Elijah. Let's go back to this other guy, Pinhas, Phineas, we say. Phineas, he's a priest. The Maccabees were priests. Phineas, the story goes, the Israelites had fallen into sexual immorality. They were sinning. Because of their sin, a a, a plague came among them. God sent a plague. At one point then, this is all in Numbers 25, you you can read it. 
uh, for yourself at, at some point in time. It's, at one point, a, an Israelite male brings a Moabite female right in front of the tabernacle of God and begins to have sexual relations with her. Right in front of the tabernacle. And this throws Pinhas into a fit. So what's Pinhas going to do? Well, here, starting at verse 7, it says this. When Phineas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, so Phinehas is a priest, when he saw this, he left the assembly, he took a spear in his hand, he followed the Israelite into the tent, and he drove the spear into both of them, right through the Israelite man and into the woman, and he kills them both. And because he did that, the plague against the Israelites was stopped. Now, is that zealot-like behavior? Yes. Now, you think, somebody just killed somebody. How's God going to respond to this? Like, hey, now, now, Pinhas, let's settle down. Let's, we don't need to go to such extent to do this. But look at God's response. That's not how God's response. Look at the next verse. Or it's uh, verse 10. The Lord said to Moses, Pinhas, son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger away from the Israelites. And since he was zealous for my honor among them as I am, so there's Pinhas's zealous, I did not put an end to them in my zeal. So God says, look, I'm zealous, and I was about to destroy the Israelites. He took up my zealousness for me. Therefore, verse 12, tell him I'm making a covenant of peace with him. Now think about that. If you're a zealot reading your Bible, and you're reading about Pinhas, who's one of your heroes, and God makes a covenant of peace with him. He and his descendants will have a covenant of lasting priesthood because he was zealous for the honor of his God and made atonement for the Israelites. So this is the, this is the hero of the zealots and a hero of the Maccabees. And you have to realize the difficulty of you're reading your Bible, and this is a story in the Bible. They're trying to act just like Pinhas did. Now, Jesus is going to correct them. He's going to say, no, 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 that's, that's not going to bring about the kingdom of God. And of course, they don't like it when he does that. But just realize they're pulling from their Bible. They may be reading it wrong, but they're pulling from their Bible. Okay, next, very quickly, what about God? Is God zealous? Well, in the Ten Commandments, here's what it says. This is uh, Exodus 20, verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So that means don't have any more other gods. For I, the Lord your God, am a... And see, our English says jealous, but that sounds petty. The word is kana. The Lord your God am a zealous God. I fiercely defend my relationship with you. Do not have other... Follow other gods. Jealousy, in our English, has a connotation of maybe pettiness, right? You're jealous that your spouse is talking to this other person or something. It's a, nobody likes being jealous. Zealousness is, I am passionate about my relationship with you. Do not cheat on me with other gods. That's God. He's a kana God. And I'll show you, I didn't put this one on your sheet, but this is an even better one. Exodus 34, 14. God says this, 
do not worship any other God. For the Lord, now get this, whose name is Kana, zealous, is a Kana, zealous God. Again, jealousy just doesn't give the same passionate, intense type. This is who God is. He's a zealous God. Okay. Hopefully you can see now they're drawing from their deep history of the Old Testament, even God saying, I'm a zealous God. And the zealots are picking up on that. Now, real quick, what about Paul? Well, I already mentioned this, right? So in Philippians 3.6, Paul, he, he inserts this little bit. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Paul was zealot-like, wasn't he? He's using violence to try to bring about the kingdom of God. Now, he's doing it wrong, but he had the authority of the government. It was sanctioned violence by the, by the, uh, the, the ruling authorities, the priests in Jerusalem. So even Paul has a zealot-type nature. And, but what Jesus does is he redirects Paul's nature. He takes Paul as the zealot and says, no, 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 Paul, I like your passion. Take it in a different direction. And when you do, you'll change the world. So he grabs Paul, he redirects Paul. Jesus wants you to be zealous, but he wants you to be zealous in the right way, right? Paul says this, and it's Titus 2.14. Paul says about Jesus, Jesus chose people who are zealous for good works. So Jesus wants zealots on his side, but he wants you to be the right kind of zealot. Be zealous about forgiveness. Be zealous about praying for those who you don't like or don't like you. Be zealous for the Bible. Have a passion to learn your Bible. Jesus is going to, there's, I'll show you another verse sometime in the New Testament. It's a really difficult verse, but it's saying this exact same thing. I want explosive people to grab hold of the kingdom of God, but I want you to do it in the right way. And what you see in Jesus' disciples is once they catch the vision, they change the world with that zealot-like energy but they do it through forgiveness and loving their neighbor and taking care of the people around them and not turning into hatred and violence, which is what the zealots ultimately did. Now, what about Jesus himself? We tend to always think of Jesus as completely peaceful, but he overturned the buyers and sellers in the temple. This is not some, you know, and after he, uh, if you read it in John, after Jesus does the, overturns the buyers and sellers, his disciples say, his disciples remember that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's from a psalm. So even Jesus has a zeal to him, but he directs it. He puts it in the right direction. But I think if we had met Jesus in the first century, you would say that is an intense person. You walk into the temple in Jerusalem and start overturning things. That's not the action of a milk toast. That's an action of someone who is zealous for God's house. Okay, let me finish. Where did Jesus, where was the wedding that Jesus went to and turned water into wine? This is what we ended with last week. The wedding was in Cana. Now we anglicize it and say Cana. Can you imagine the people named their city Cana? Can you tell me about the, the attitude of the people who lived in Cana? 
Think that might have been a zealot town? So there's a wedding in Cana. And then, this is, we'll look at the, get this, and God willing, either next week or the week after, what about the disciple Nathaniel? Nathaniel, John tells us, in John, it's 21 verse uh, 2, there's Simon Peter, Thomas, and then it says, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee. And I'll show you where Jesus meets Nathaniel is in the Zealot territory. It's over by Bethsaida. So what's, what's Nathaniel from Cana doing hanging out by the Zealots? Ah, maybe there's even a clue there that Nathaniel is Zealot-type thinking. And just to show you, and I'll put it on the screen, I know it's tough to see, but if you open up the Greek to this verse, you notice that the word kana, at least here, is first spelled with a K, then it gets anglicized into how we spell kana, C-A-N-A, and we kind of draw out the anglicized way of saying that word. So there's lots of zealot-type behavior from these disciples. And it might just be that Jesus chose passionate people because that's what he needed. He needed to go, he needed disciples that would go face down the Roman Empire, but not violently. And it took him a while to figure that out. So, yeah, it's just, it's all over the text. We just have to have eyes to see that how important these zealots and the, how deeply that, that word kana and the zealot-like thinking and behavior bumps into Jesus all the time, and they wanted him to be their king, not to forgive, but to fight. Anyways, we'll talk through that over the next couple of weeks. So this is just an introduction to the zealots, and um, let me go ahead and stop the share. Thanks for joining us under the fig tree for today's lesson. If you like this video, be sure to hit the like button below. And make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that bell to be notified every time I upload a new lesson. You can also check out more teachings here at our YouTube channel or at figtreeteaching.com and enjoy learning about the sweetness of God's words.